anywhere around the world and here in our building today. It's a wonderful, wonderful crowd. Let me kind of, I got to do a little housekeeping item here real quick. It won't affect most of you, though sometimes it might. As you can imagine, everything's changed since COVID. And one of the things we've been doing for a year since we started meeting is we, we look at every aspect of everything we're doing. How can we do it better? How can we be more effective? How can we reach more people? So as we launched the 11 o'clock service, we've had many people who have thanked us. Hey, thanks for that later service. This is the one we were waiting on, and we appreciate that. But because we've got more people coming at 9.15, and then we have a lot of our adult groups on our next-gen ministries meeting at 11 o'clock after the uh, service is over, there's a 30-minute gap in there that's just difficult to fill. It's made it very difficult on our volunteers. So this is not going to affect you. We're going to remain at a 9.15 service. But... We're going to move our 11 o'clock service to 1045 because we just don't need a 30-minute gap. It's going to help everybody. We're going to make a promise to those that come to 11. We're going to get you out at 12 o'clock sharp. And for the first time ever in my ministry, you will beat the Methodist to the cafeteria. So we're going to be moving. That's going to be, that's going to be in January, the first thing in January. We're going to be moving to a 1045 service. And you may say, well, that's not a, a big deal. It really is for our small group leaders. It really is a big deal to our volunteers. And so I appreciate you helping us with that. I want to throw something up on the screen. We've been in a series called Red Sea Moments. I'll talk about it in a moment. But we have a lady who did a, I think I'm going to put it up there. Yeah, there she goes. Her name is Ducke. Ducke is an artist and she's a painter. Well, we had this idea that we would ask her to paint a picture a portrait of Moses parting the Red Sea. She's very talented. And if you go out to the lobby today, by the way, you can see the actual painting. But there she is working on it, and that is the finished product. And I just want to thank Duck A for her, what she did. Uh, did such a beautiful job. And uh, we want to give honor to whom honor is due. There are very few people you can say their last name, and you know exactly who you're talking about. And one of those, by far, maybe the number one name, is a name called Einstein. When you say Einstein, everybody, almost anybody knows you're talking about Albert Einstein, universally recognized as one of the smartest people who ever lived. We don't know what his IQ was. They didn't measure IQ back in that day, but it's been estimated that his IQ was about 170. He single-handedly created modern physics, which revolves around two theories. He developed both of them the theory of relativity, and the theory of quantum mechanics. When he was 11 years old, he was studying college physics. This guy was a brainiac. But he made a statement about God that makes me glad and sad at the same time. Because the Bible affirms the first part of what he said about God, but it vigorously disavows the second thing he said about God. Now, here's the first thing Einstein said. Certainly, there's a God. Any man who doesn't believe in a cosmic force is a fool. Well, he just echoed something that a king named David said thousands of years before. He wrote these words. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. By the way, if you don't know what the Bible has to say about atheism, that's it. That's all. God just says, if you don't believe in me, you are a fool. Well, I agree. Einstein couldn't agree with you more. But then he went on to say this, but we could never know him. We could never know him. 
That statement is not only incredibly wrong, it is catastrophically sad. Because let me ask you a question. What good is it to believe in a God that you can't know? What does it matter if there's a God, if you cannot know that God? Now, here's the good news. If this book is true, we can actually know God. As a matter of fact, God created a world so we could know what he's made. God gave us a book so we could know what he's done. But God gave us his son so we could know who he is. And that brings us to a man we've been studying, and it's one of the richest things I've ever done in my ministry. His name was Moses. We've been in a series we've been calling Red Sea Moments. And what I've been saying to you is, even though Moses lived 3,500 years ago, he was just like all of us. He experienced things we experienced. He had ups, he had downs, he had shrinks, he had weaknesses. Sometimes he did it right, sometimes he did it wrong. But one of the things that's so encouraging about Moses is this. Whatever else we want to say about Moses, this man knew God. He knew God in a way that when I study his life, I say, God, that's the way I want to know you. Now, we're in uh, Exodus today. We're in Exodus chapter 33. And as we read, and that's in the second book in the Bible, by the way, if you want to turn to it, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses makes a statement to God. Listen, this is so great. You can make the same statement right now. And what Moses said to God, you can say to God. And what Moses did, God did for Moses, God will do for you. Just like it transformed his life, it can transform your life. Now listen to what Moses said. If you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways, now watch this, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses made the most, I mean, can you think of anything more audacious than to go to the creator of this universe and say, I want to know you. I want to know you personally. I want to know you intimately. I want to know you like nobody else has ever known you. And you know what? God granted his request. Now, this God that we're talking about knows you inside and out, north to south, east to west. He knows you. But the question of the day is this. Do you know God? Now, don't flippantly say yes too quickly. I'm not asking you, do you know about God? I'm not even asking you, do you believe in God? Here's what I'm asking you. Do you, listen to this, now watch this. Do you know God personally? And how well do you know him? Let's talk for a moment about knowing God. Because I want you to understand what I mean by knowing God. There are three ways you can know anything. If you think about it, there are three ways you can know anything, all right? One is by observation, right? You, I mean, you, you can learn just by, you know, by, and then by the way, that's the simplest way to know anything. You just watch. You just look. You just observe. Here's a good example. Even a little kid can look at the universe and figure out somebody made all this. This didn't just get here. That's why most kids on their own, they just naturally believe that there's a God out there. It's just like you can look at a car. And you know somebody manufactured that car. You can look at a house and you can know somebody built that house. So you can learn a lot just by watching. But that's an incredibly limited way you can learn. But then there's a second way you can learn. 
One's by observation. One's by education. So you can learn by investigating, by reading, by rationalizing, by thinking, by studying. Let me give you an example. Here's, here's someone, for example, who says, you know, I've never been to Atlanta, Georgia. I've never actually been there. I've never actually enjoyed the wonderful traffic that you guys have there in Atlanta, Georgia. But they say, you know what? I know a lot about Atlanta because I got books on Atlanta, and I've read about Atlanta, and I know about Peachtree Street, and, and I know about the Falcons, and I know about the Braves, and I know a lot about this. I've never been there, but they don't have to be there. They can know a lot about the city just by doing some research. That's not what I'm talking about when I mean to know God. I don't mean do you know God by observation. I'm not asking do you know God by education. What I mean is participation. You learn by participation. I mean by personal experience. That's what I mean by knowing God. Not just by observing God. Just by, not just by reading about God. I mean really knowing God. God, now let me give you a thought that's going to stagger your mind, and I'm going to really draw this in. Hopefully, it'll get your attention. One of these days, you are going to meet God face to face. One of these days, you're going to meet God face to face. Listen. But before you do, can you say today you know him heart to heart? The God that one day I'm going to meet face to face, I want to know heart to heart. I may not have seen his face, but when, I'm, when I meet God, I want my heart to say, you're even more wonderful than I knew you were. You're more beautiful than I could ever imagine. You're more loving than in my wildest dreams. See, there are two ways you can know God, casually or intimately. You say, okay, James, pastor, what's, what's the difference? Here's the difference. If you know God casually, you know God by his works. You know what he can do, but, and you know maybe what he has done. But when you know God intimately, you don't just know his works. You know his ways. You know God for who God really is. And here's what we're going to learn today. You ready? You can personally go to a God that you intimately know. You can personally, one-on-one, -on -one, go to a God that you intimately know. Let me tell you why this is a big deal in church. There are a lot of people out there, and you know what I call them? I call them God name droppers. They're good at name dropping God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the man upstairs. Oh, yeah, I know there's a cosmic force out there. Oh, yeah, I, I, I believe in it. People who, are name, they, they, who name drop God, they're a dime a dozen. But some of you need to hear what I'm about to say, particularly those watching online right now. There is a difference between name-dropping God and knowing the God that you name. God wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him personally. Well, the question is, how do you do that and what happens when you do? We're in Exodus 33. I'm going to share with you three things. Ready? First of all, knowing God feeds on intimate communication. Knowing God feeds on intimate communication. All right? Here's what I mean by that. If you want to get to know anybody, it takes an effort to do that. You've got to spend time. You've got to put effort in to doing that. You've got to make it a priority. You know why Moses knew God? He made it a priority. Here's what we read about Moses. Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. That's important. We'll come back to that in a moment. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. 
And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the, Lord, the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. Moses, every day, would construct this tent. He would put it outside the camp. Matter of fact, we're told three times it was outside the camp. It was some distance away. Why did Moses do that? Because Moses wanted to teach the people a lesson and wanted them to remember it. Even though you are a sinful people, God is a holy God. And we better take meeting with him serious business. And so he calls it the tent of meeting. Because when Moses walked into that tent, people knew something about Moses. He's going to do business with God, and he means business. He's putting everything aside. You know, I got thinking about this. I, I used to call, when I have my time with the Lord, uh, some people call it, uh, you know, doing devotions. And some people call it having a quiet time. And I've done the same thing. I used to tell them, I'm going to do my devotion. I'm going to have a quiet time. I've changed all that. And let me tell you why. I don't think that puts nearly enough emphasis on what God wants from us. You say, what do you mean? Well, anybody can do devotions. A Buddhist can do devotions. A Hindu can do devotions. Anybody can have a quiet time. Anybody can put, put in earplugs and close their eyes and just get quiet. But if you want to know God, you've got to meet with God. You've got to put everything and everyone aside, and you go into that tent of meeting with an open heart, and you give God what God is giving you, your full attention. You've got God, your full concentration. So that's why I no longer say, every day I have a quiet time. I no longer say every time I do my devotions. You know what I say now? Every day I have a meeting with God. I'm going to meet with God, and God is going to come and meet with me. And let me tell you why this is such a big deal. And this is what grieves a pastor. You will never come to know God just by hearing sermons about God. You will never know God just by listening to music about God. You'll never come to know God just by reading books on how to know God. You cannot know anybody, including God, unless you spend time with that person and give full attention to that person and have intimate communication and connection with that person. I'll give you an example. Nobody on this planet knows me better than Teresa. Nobody. Nobody knows me better. You know why? Because we spent 45 years together. I spent more time with her in four and a half decades than I have any, any other three or four people put together. And we've had this intimate time and this intimate communication for four and a half decades. Now, if you've ever been in a sound booth in a music recording studio, and I have, it's a really cool deal. You can take a, a recording studio, you could put it right down on Peachtree Street at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right in the middle of traffic. I mean, right in the middle of the busiest city, in a, in one of the busiest cities in America. It doesn't matter how many cars are rushing by, doesn't matter how many trucks are, are blowing their horns, doesn't matter how many sirens are going off. When you're in that sound booth, you don't hear anything. It's like this. Totally quiet. Everything on the world is completely shut down. Everything's completely shut off. The only thing you will hear is whatever is coming 
through your headphones. Listen to me carefully. That's the way we ought to meet with God. You turn your cell phone off. You put your computer aside. You lay your iPad down. You turn off the television. And you get into a spiritual sound booth and you say, Lord, the only sound I want to hear right now is the sound of your voice. The only face I want to see is your face. I just want to listen to you. I want to read your word. I want you to speak with me. And so in this tent of meeting, you read this incredible, incredible verse. Listen to this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. All you guys watching me out there right now, here we go. He didn't Zoom God. He didn't get on an iPad and look at God. He didn't FaceTime God. He talked to God face to face. You may say, well, I wish I could do that. You can because of three things, the Scripture, the Spirit, and the Son. We can all speak face to face. We come into His presence through the Son. We hear His voice when the Spirit speaks to us through His Word. But here's the point. You got to give God a chance to speak. You got to give God time. You got to set everything aside and say, Lord, just right now, you're going to have this intentional communication with each other. That's where knowing God begins. It feeds on intimate communication. My question Do you know God? And if you say you do, let's just take today. Did you get to know God better today by spending time with God? today. Number two, knowing God breeds intentional preoccupation. It feeds on intimate communication, but here's what it does. When you really get to know God, it breeds intentional preoccupation. Now, let me just go back. Keep in mind, we learned this, if you were here last week in the previous chapter, remember how Israel had broken the first two commandments, and they made that golden calf, and they began to worship that golden calf, and they became idolaters? And call it whatever you want to. They gave God the finger. They slapped God in the face. They kicked God out the door. So now we come out of chapter 32 and listen to how the third, 33rd chapter begins. Watch this. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised and on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So what he's saying is, Moses, I made a promise. I gave my word. I don't break my word. I keep my promise. I told you I'd get them to the promised land. I'm going to get them to the promised land. But now watch what God says. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and even the termites. I'm going to drive them all out. Watch this. Go up to the land full of milk and honey. But I'm going to use some bad grammar. Go dogs. That ain't bad grammar. That's Bible truth. But God said, I ain't going with you. I'll get you there. I can't, I'll keep my word. I told you I'd do what I'm going to do. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Moses had made a promise. He was going to take the people to Canaan. He's going to people, keep it. And God said to the people of Israel, tell you what I'm going to do. I will give you my provision, and I will give you my protection, but I will not give you my presence. You will go by 
yourself. Oh, Israel, you stiff-necked, rebellious, idolatrous people, I'm going to give you what you ask for, but I will have no part in it. Let me just stop right here. This is a great teaching moment for me and for you. It is a scary thing to be satisfied with God's provision and God's protection, but not give a rip about God's presence. It's a scary thing to be satisfied with his provision and his protection, but it's not his presence. You say, what do you mean? Do you know why you have what you have right now? Because God provided it for you. Do you know why you made it safely to church this morning? Because God protected you. Every day you get up, you don't live a second without God's provision. You don't live a moment without God's provision. But my question is, do you live in his presence? I mean, are you preoccupied? Do you have an intentional preoccupation with the presence of God? I'm just asking a question. So just be honest. How many people, I'm satisfied I'm saved. I'm satisfied I have eternal life. I'm satisfied I'm going to heaven. But spending time with God is just not on my radar. It's just not on my calendar. It's just something I don't think about. It never occurs to me to take what God's given me and give it back to him. Because let me tell you something. I guarantee you, there were people in that group of Israelites. You know what they would have said at that moment? They would have said, you mean we get to go to Canaan? Yeah. You, you, you mean we get to eat the honey and drink the milk? Yes. You mean you're going to drive out all of our enemies by an angel? Yep. But, but you're not coming? No. They would have said, we're cool with that. We're down with that. No problem. So I'd encourage all of us right now, beginning with me, to look at an imaginary mirror and ask ourselves this question. Am I more in love with all God has given me or the God that's given me all I have? That, that'll, that'll, that's a showstopper. Am I more in love with all God has given me or the God that has given me all that I have? Am I content with God's provision and God's protection Without his presence? Am I okay with the blessing even if I don't have the blesser? I mean, far too many followers of God, they're preoccupied with what they've gotten with God instead of with God himself. And my question is real simple. Do you really want God to be with you in every moment of your life? Guiding you in everything you say, everything you do, everywhere you go. I mean, look, I get it. We all want to make sure when we get on an airplane, I've got to go to get on an airplane tomorrow. I'm, we all want to make sure, boy, I hope you're with me on this plane. But one of our prayers I pray when we take off, put angels on both wings. I, mean, I want God with me on that airplane. I'm sure you do too. And I guarantee you, if you've ever had surgery like I have, you want God in that operating room. And you want God taking that doctor's hands by his hand and making sure it goes well. But the question is, how many times do you see things and say things and go to places, but you leave God out? You separate God. You shut the door, put him on a shelf, and say, hey, wait a minute. I'll be back in a little while when I need you again. I was reading about, you'll love this, about a young Navy officer. And 
he had made his first trip on a destroyer across the ocean. And he'd gone through this rigorous training. It came time to take that destroyer out of the harbor and bring it back to America. It was the very first time that he had been given the task to do that. He wanted to make sure he did it right. So he's barking commands here and there. He's doing everything by the book. And everything was moving like an atomic clock. And he's making this very difficult maneuver of taking this huge destroyer out of this harbor. And he did it flawlessly. He was so proud of himself. They were making record time. When someone came to him and said, uh, you have a message from the captain. Well, he thought it was strange because it was a radio message. And he read it. This is what the captain said. He said, young man, you've done an excellent job. You've done it with great speed. You've done it according to the book. But there is one unwritten rule you have overlooked. The next time you leave the harbor, make sure the captain is on board the ship. I just wonder, every morning when your ship pulls out of the harbor and you're headed out to the open seas of another day, I don't care how wise your plans are. I don't care how great you manage your time. I don't care how much ability you have. I don't care if you show, if you're sure you know where you are or you know where you're going. You better make sure the captain's on board. As a matter of fact, you better make sure he's piloting the ship. You better make sure he is saturating the boat. He's with you. So this was Moses' attitude. Listen to what Moses said. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know what Moses said? I couldn't care less about your provision. And I couldn't care less about your protection if I don't have your presence. And here's what Moses said. You ready for this? I'd rather be dead with you than live without you. So no thanks. Not interested. They can go. I'm not going. I'll stay right here in the desert. I'll stay right here in the wilderness. I'm not taking one more step if you do not go with me. Because Moses knew nothing, listen to me, nothing, not a place, not a possession, not a pleasure, no other person should ever satisfy you without God. Nothing. The most important thing about you, listen, my biggest fear is to get up here and preach without the presence of God on me and the power of God on me, and the Spirit of God on me. What good does that do? I am nothing without Him. So in other words, let me make it as plain as I know how to make it. This is the old country boy coming out. You're better off to be in the outhouse with God than the penthouse without God. You're better off to be in the outhouse with God than the penthouse without God. Now, I will tell you this. Between those two, you're better to be in the penthouse with God. Just make that clear. But if anything to you, listen to me, if anything to you is more important, better, dearer, anything than having the presence of God in your life and knowing the presence of God in your life, you don't know God. He said, I know you, and I want to know you. I pray every day. You know one of the prayers I pray every day? I, pray, I have a prayer I pray every day. One of the prayers I pray, Lord, minimize my desire for anything else, maximize my desire for you. Maximize my desire for you, minimize my desire for anything else. Now, notice what the Lord said to Moses. Watch this. 
The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Okay, Moses, you get it. And I, I love this. I will give you rest. Do you know what that literally says in the Hebrew language? You ready for this? It's so beautiful. What he said was this. Moses, my face will go with you. My face will go with you. You can't get any closer than to have someone's face right beside you. And so when you're walking with God and you're preoccupied with his presence in your life, he says, I will give you rest. What kind of rest, Pastor? It's the kind of rest that knows that no matter what you face in any situation, God will be right there telling you what you need to go to know and taking you where you need to go. Knowing breeds intense preoccupation. It breeds this, this, I mean, this unbelievable desire, this intentional preoccupation to know God. Here's the last thing we're done. Knowing God feeds on intimate communication. You spend time with him. When you spend time with him, it breeds this, it, it, it breeds this intentional preoccupation. The, the driving desire of your life is to live in the presence of God. But when that happens, watch this. Then God does something for you. Knowing God leads to intense revelation. Now we're going to get to the climax of the story. Now Moses, and for Moses and for anybody that knows God, the best is yet to be. Because here's what God's made a promise. Ready for this? God says, if you will take time for intimate communication, and you will take time for intentional preoccupation, I want to live in the presence of God, God says, you will experience this intense revelation of my glory. Because here was the difference. There was one big difference between Israel and Moses. And it's why Moses was Moses and they were not. They both knew the works of God. They saw what God could do. But Moses knew the ways of God. They didn't know that. They knew the works of God. They didn't know the ways of God. Moses had seen the works of God. He said, I want to know the ways of God. And he said, you know what? There's only one thing I need to see I've not seen. There's only one thing I need to experience I have not experienced. And unless I see this and know this, I'll never know you the way I really want to know you. God, I want to see your glory. So then Moses said, now, show me your glory. I heard somebody say something a few years ago, and I'd never thought about it before. And I th- and more I thought about it, I said, that's right. They said this. Listen to this. What people pray for is a great indication of what they live for. I thought, that is so true. What people pray for is a great indication of what they live for. What people pray for shows you what's really important in their life. And for Moses, he said, there's nothing more important. I want to see your glory in all of its fullness. I'm absolutely convinced the longer I follow God, the closer I get to God, the better I know God, the more I love God, the greater will be my desire to see the glory of God and to see God glorified. That will be the top of my list because, listen, There are only two beings in this universe that have no interest in the glory of God. They don't have any desire to glorify God. Only two. Fallen men and fallen angels. That's the only two beings in the universe. Fallen men. They don't know God. 
Fallen angels, they rebelled against God. And by the way, that's why both groups, when they went when, when one group, when they die, one group now, they're going to be forever removed from the presence of God. Because you know what hell really is. You can, you know, fire, brimstone, whatever you believe about that, no problem either way with me. But the real essence of hell is when you are totally separated from the presence of God. Because here's what, listen, you know what all hell is? You don't want him on earth, you won't get him in eternity. God's not going to force himself on anybody. So the only two things, I don't care about the glory of God, fallen men and fallen angels. But even though God will not force his glory on anyone, he will fellowship with anyone who desires his glory. God demands glory. God deserves glory. But here's the thing. You say, Pastor, what you're telling me is I need to really be, really be giving God glory in my life. Well, yes, but more importantly, I'm not asking you to give God glory. I'm asking you to recognize it. And I'm asking you to want to live in it because, see, God is glorious within himself. Something we don't understand about the glory of God. Let me give you, here's a good example. Judges take on glory when they put on their robe. Police officers take on glory when they put on their badge. Generals take on glory when they put on their uniform. But God doesn't just have glory. He is glorious. And when we give God glory, we're not giving God something he doesn't already have until we do. We just recognize the glory that he already's got. And see, we'll never come to know his glory. Here's the point. You want to see the glory of God? Yeah, pastor, I do. You want to live in the glory of God? Yes, I do. You want to witness the glory of God? Yes, I do. You will never, ever get to do that on your own. He must reveal it to you. You don't get it out of a book or a classroom. You only get it from God himself because only the God of glory can show us the glory of God. And so here's what we read. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, to be honest, we're never going to be able to see God directly until we get to heaven, until we get into eternity. But here's what I do know. We can see the manifestation of God's glory. We can see the reflection of God's glory. You say, what do you mean? Let me give you a simple illustration. You ever thought about this? Did you know there is one face you have never seen directly in your life? One face. You know whose face that is? Yours. I've never seen my face directly. You've never seen your face directly. Now, you can go to a mirror and you can see a, a reflection or you can go to a, a, a snapshot and see a picture. We've never seen our face directly. And likewise, in so many ways, we see a glimpse of God's glory. We see a reflection of God's glory. For example, say, can you give me an example? Yeah, when a baby's born. That's a reflection of the glory of God. When that sunrise comes up over that ocean, that's a reflection of the glory of God. When I see somebody come from darkness to light, and from blindness to sight, and goes from a life that is wrong to a life that is right. That's a picture. That's a reflection of the glory of God. So we're going to wrap this up. Here's my question. This is when you just, just get real and just get honest. How many of you would look at your life, just, just being honest? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me too. 
And on a daily basis, you're just satisfied with the gifts of God. Every now and then, you want the guidance of God. You, you really love the goodness of God, and that's all well and good. But you know when you really know God? And you know when you really want to know God? It is when you say, God, I want to see your glory. And I want to see you glorified. And Lord, just today, would you show me how I can bring glory and honor to you? That is my greatest desire. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm not Moses. You're right. And I'll never get to experience the things that Moses did. Well, yes and no. No, you're never going to part a Red Sea. And you're probably never going to see manna fall from heaven. But here's the good news. We can actually do and see and experience things greater than Moses ever did. That Moses never knew. You say, what do you mean? Because of the Son of God, I'm not just friends with God. I'm a part of the family of God. Because of the Son of God, I don't, just God, I don't just meet God face to face. I meet God like a son meets his dad. I meet, a son like a, I meet God like a daughter meets her mother. And guess what? Because of the word of God, we can hear the voice of God in ways that only Moses could have just dreamed about because he didn't have the book that we have. Because of the spirit of God, we have God not just present with us. He's not beside us. He's living inside of us. And that's why the last lesson and the greatest lesson this great man called Moses teaches us is real simple. When you come to the end of Moses' life, you put aside the Red Sea, you put aside the manna, you put aside the, rock, the water from the rock, you put aside all those miracles that God did, and here's what Moses teaches us at the very end, which is why I'm so glad we studied his life. When you get to the end of your life, and you breathe your last breath, you will know there is nothing sweeter, there is nothing greater, better, and there is nothing greater than knowing God. And because of the crucified, risen Son of God, we can know Him. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed, with eyes closed? <laughs> Do you know God? Not about God. Well, I believe in God. That's what I ask you. Do you know God? Do you know God? You cannot know God except through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite some of you right now watching me, my computer, iPad, telephone. Some of you are in this room. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not know God. And if you do not know Jesus in your heart, you do not know God. Has there been a point in your life when you realized, I cannot know God except through Jesus. I cannot do it. But he died for me. He came back from the grave so I could know him. So I could have this personal, daily, face-to-face, -face, intimate relationship with him. If you'd say, I don't know him. I was thinking today as I was driving to church, thought about that passage where Jesus one day is going to say to people, 
depart from me because I never knew you. I'm just asking the question. I wonder how many of you say would say today, you know, Pastor, I don't know God, not like I should, not like you've talked about. Well, if you just right now would just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're alive right now. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You are that Savior. I'm trusting you as my Savior. I'm accepting you as my Lord. I repent of my sins and I'm giving my life to you. If you just said something, I mean, just then, you know God. You may be in the first grade of knowing God, but you know God and God knows you. And so, if you watching right now prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Christ or you'd like to know more about what it means to know God or you've got a spiritual question if you just go to this website it's uh, crosspointchurch.com slash decision or if you just text Jesus to 678-255-2566 we'll be more than happy There'll be, we'll have instructions there for what you can do and we're going to help you take that next step with God now I want all of you in this room look up here at me everybody look up here so we're going to do something a little bit different today. We do this two or three times a year, and it's such a blessing. So you can know God, and you can talk to God face-to-face. So we were talking about this several months ago. We were talking about this, uh, this service. And so we came up with this idea we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to have some volunteers come down here, and some of our staff are going to be standing at the front. Here's my simple question. How many of you really need God to answer a prayer in your life about something? It may be your marriage. It may be your children. It may be your family. It may be your health. It may be a job situation. It may be a particular sin in your life. It may be for a burden that you're carrying. You say, yeah, that's me. What we're going to do is, I'm going to be down here, our staff and some others are going to be down here at the front. I'm going to ask you in a moment, as we stand to sing this last song, if you have a prayer need, if you'll just come, our people, we just want to pray with you. Everything that you say to any of us will be held in strictest confidence, by the way. I just want you to know that. we're, We're people of integrity. But there are some of you here today, you've been carrying a burden far too long by yourself. So we're going to kind of set up a tent of meeting, imaginary down here, where you can come meet with God today. And we're going to meet with God with you. Now, even more than that, if you made a decision for Christ today, you gave your life to Jesus, or you watch those precious people get baptized, and you say, you know, I, I've never been baptized. I, I love the Lord, but I need to, I need to, make, I, I need to do that. Or you want to join this church, or you've just got a, a spiritual question. Come down here as well. Just all you got to do is come to me, come to one of our staff, and just say, hey, I gave my life to Christ. You know, I I need to follow Jesus in baptism. I'd like to join this church. Or, you know, I've got this spiritual need in my life. Would you pray with me? So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to have our people come, our volunteers. And this is going to be the hard part for you. Some of you are going to be sitting there thinking, I can't go down there in front of all those people. I, I don't even know what they'll be thinking about me. What do you care? There's a God that wants to meet with you today. And there's some of you walked into this church. You had no idea we we're going to do this. And you know, you're sitting there saying, Lord, 
I know you're speaking to me. I've got a burden and I cannot carry this anymore. I need somebody to bear this burden with me. I need somebody to take this burden to you with me. Give us that chance to pray with you, to pray for God to heal your body or for pray for God to heal your marriage or to pray for God to heal your relationship with your kids or to pray for God to give you that job or for, for pray to, for God to help you overcome that, whatever that problem is in your life. To help God, to, to pray that God would help you climb that mountain of depression. Get down where the joy really is. Give us a chance to pray with you. So when I pray in just a moment, I'm going to ask as I pray our, our, our people to come. And we stand to our feet. As you will give us an opportunity, let us pray for you today. Heavenly Father, when we read in the New Testament about the early church, they prayed for each other. We don't do it enough. So Lord, I pray today that our people, those that are burdened, those who have heavy hearts, those who are struggling with physical illness, those who need a job, those who need to know more about God, those who made a decision for God that need now to follow through on that decision, whatever, Lord, bring people and do a great work today in Jesus' name. Now, our people are coming forward right now. When you stand to your feet in a moment, come on down, everybody come down that's coming that's going to be with us to help us pray. When you stand to your feet, they're going to lead us in one song. Those of you that don't need to come after that, you'll be dismissed. We're going to be here. You come and let us pray for you. Let's stand to our feet right now. As they begin to sing, you come. We're waiting on you to pray right now.